Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to the post-game number crunch. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting, creator of the Timberwolves newsletter, Howls and Growls, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by Kana Supus and SB Nation. We have a special edition of the number crunch today. I'm joined by Jack Borman, site manager over at Howls and Growls. We're going to go through the post-game, obviously in the, in the same way that we always do over at, at Number Crunch with a couple of numbers to anchor us. And then we are going to do some trade deadline stuff as well. So Jack, it's good to see you again. Good to talk. Not the best game to talk about, but it is good to see your face sitting across from me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see you. I, w- I was pleased with being introduced as the site manager of Howls and Growls because it is Wow, well, I meant Kana Supers, but that's what I meant. Yes, I, just I think a fantastic operation that has been getting me through this, this NBA season. Um, but I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I wish everybody could see the beautiful sunburnt face that I'm seeing as it's eight degrees outside. Um, but yeah, kind of a, kind of a dumpster fire game, but, um, and, and really killed every positive vibe that there was today. Um, I mean, man, oh man, the vibes could not have been higher coming into this game, but, uh, Leave it to the Memphis Grizzlies to figure out how to uh, fuck around and, and ruin that vibe, man. Yeah, it's it's always a coin flip when you play the Grizzlies, and this coin landed on really annoying and really bad, and that has been the case too many times over the last 10 months against the Grizzlies. But overall, like you said, it was a really good day. Obviously, Anthony Edwards is an all-star officially. Mike Conley played his first game, which probably wasn't his the best introduction in terms of individual play or the team as a whole. But like I said, at the, at the top, we're going to do the same sort of um, program here where we where we start with a number. I want to get your number first and kind of lead us away here. It's the first time I've had a guest on the number crunch. So, you know, lead us away here, Jack. Yeah, so for me, the, the, the number I have is 72. Uh, the Timberwolves gave us 72 points in the paint. Um, that is tied for the second most. Um with the actually the win that they had um against denver on on february 5th so that that was at target center um i believe that was on sunday um uh, against the nuggets team that did not have all of their starters um or four of their five starters um i mean um it really that rudy gobert set the tone for this uh early in the game i thought um you know gobert to his credit um has been absolutely tremendous uh defensively for the better part of the last month month and a half um but tonight was just really timid um shied away from from getting up and and really uh contesting and and making a difference at the rim tonight i thought um i thought you know he was pretty apathetic and soft um and and that really set the tone for the entire timberwolves defense um outside of you know mike conley 
doing a fantastic job fighting around screens. I think Conley drew three or four illegal screens, but um, outside of Mike, nobody wanted to, to sit down and, and get in a, and get in a guarding position and, um, and try to at least help go bear um, to make sure that there weren't so many, you know, unabated guys getting into the, into the paint. But, you know, at the end of the day, like Rudy Gobert is a super max player, right? He gets paid almost $50 million a year just to dominate defensively. <laughs> like he does not get paid yeah. to, to score points offensively. Um, and, you know, it's just really hard for the Timberwolves to win games right now without Carl Anthony Towns when, um, you know, when Gobert turns into a liability defensively. And, and thankfully for the Wolves, there have been very few games when that has happened. But um, obviously giving up 72 points in the paint um, on a night that, that Gobert does play is, uh, is, is pretty brutal. I mean, you, you look at the, the one game they, they did play, um, or they did give up more than this was, was oddly enough, was that really dominant win over the Pacers, um, where they only gave up 101 points. So they gave up 101 points and 74 of them came in the paint, which is insane for an NBA team to, only scored 27 points outside the paint, but um, yeah, just a real stinker um, at, at all three levels of the Wolves defense tonight. Yeah. I mean, 26 of 34 Memphis from, from inside the paint of at the rim, 11 of 21 in that short mid range area, which was the, you know, the floater range. And I thought that they really hammered that area that they were going to short roll in pick and roll and then shoot floaters immediately or Jar was going to get downhill and then get into his floater range, which he does every night. But I think it was pretty clearly a game plan that they were going to go at Rudy Gobert and expose the fact that they're playing drop coverage and that he's likely to drop pretty deep into the paint, especially with Morant there, who's obviously insane attacking downhill and loves to get all the way to the rim. I just thought that it was a, it was a great game plan, but it was there wasn't enough adjustments from Minnesota, both in terms of Gobert himself, the point of attack defenders. I thought Jaden had a really bad night as a point of attack defender, which is rare for him. Um, like you said, Conley was pretty good, but Ant was bad again as well um, as a point of attack guy. So I just think that Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff game plan really well. Minnesota and Chris Finch probably didn't adjust to that game plan very quickly. And then the players probably didn't do what Chris Finch wanted them to do, which would be to take that half step up and stop the floaters. And even then, even when they did take that half step up, there was someone cutting back from the backside or cutting, you know, along the baseline who got a little dump off pass. So as much as I want to lament the Timberwolves, and I think that they should be lamented for their defensive effort in this game, I thought Memphis really just game planned the shit out of them in this game. And it it kind of is a little bit scary when you think that this is a team that they really could play in the playoffs and are going to have to try and beat four times. And we've seen this season that they can beat them and that, that over the last two years, these two teams have kind of been going back and forth. But man, this just felt like a game where they got out-coached and out-executed you know, defensively or in, off- or in Memphis's case, offensively pretty much for the whole game. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think... For the Wolves, like if you just look at the breakdown of where these shots are coming from, um, the shot distribution was was surprisingly very similar between these two teams. Um, like Memphis, Memphis shot twenty one shots in that short mid range area. Um, the the Wolves shot nineteen. Memphis, you know, shoots fifty two percent. The Wolves shoot thirty seven percent. I mean, similar thing at the rim where. 
you know, Minnesota's 18 of 31 at the rim and, and Memphis is 16 of 34. I mean, it was just, um, you know, two different classes of, of finishing um, when you get inside the paint there. And then, um, you know, then the big one too, like, like Minnesota gets 11 more threes up um, than, than Memphis. But, but again, like if you're going to, if you're going to allow Memphis to get to the, get to the free throw line, what was it? 27 times. Um, you know, you're, you're just going to be in for a long night. Um, and, and, you know, what's crazy is, is Minnesota had 20 fouls called on them in this game, but Memphis had 19 fouls called on them in this game. It was just a matter of like what those fouls were. Like Memphis was fouling people before they were getting up into that shooting motion to ensure that they, you know, their drives got stopped and they didn't get to the rim where, Whereas, um, you know, that, that was not the case for, um, that was not the case for Minnesota. Like they're all shooting fouls. They, they had pretty much for the most part, um, or, or a much greater percentage of shooting fouls. And, um, and then they don't stop fouling when they get in the bonus. That's the problem. The, the, they yeah. get touch fouls and, you know, fouls at the three point line and fouls on drives that aren't shooting fouls when they get into the bonus. And it just, they just compound the errors in terms of fouling. I mean, I thought they got a bad whistle tonight, but I don't think that they earned a good whistle because they are very handsy and they have a reputation. Like, this happens every game. Like, they foul a lot every game. Yeah, and I, and I think the bonus call is a good point, too. Like, I know PB, PBP Stats has, like, some good numbers on, like, the, the total number of possessions that a team spends in the bonus. Um, and, and I haven't looked at that in a while, but the Wolves were, like, down there near the bottom in terms of, like how many how many possessions essentially um their opponents are in the bonus for um you know and it's it's one thing to to use your fouls but it's another thing to use your fouls very early in the quarters um which yeah. which we saw tonight from the wolves and um and, and i guess too you know like what was disappointing was that like the wolves had a lot of ball movement early in the game that looked really good everybody seemed to be moving with with purpose um, on, on the offensive end. And then that just, you know, kind of inexplicably went away when, um, the Timberwolves starters got out there for a second time. And then that, that avalanche kind of ensued, um, just a, a lot of, you know, shots with, with limited number of passes before the shot. And we know what that, that means for the wolves. And that generally means, um, transition going the other way. Um, or at the very least, um, you know, Memphis was able to generate some cross matches and then attack off of that. And when you're attacking mismatches, that's when you get the, the scrambles and people are overhelping and fouling and being out of position. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the defense obviously was very poor, but, um, you know, they, their offense really didn't help them in that regard in terms of the way it set the defense up to to kind of be playing on their heels a little bit. Yeah, and, and it's not always that bad shots lead specifically just to transition opportunities but it, like you said it leads to cross matches in the half court and that was my number that I had was that Minnesota allowed 116.1 half court a uh, half court offensive rating for Memphis so they scored 116.1 points per 100 possession in the half court and that is the that's a problem I've, I've come on this show before and I've, I've explained that, that Minnesota are now 21 uh, 21 losses and four wins anytime they allow over 115 points per possession in the half court. So, like, they lose games. If they don't score in the half court, they lose games. And that's kind of... Uh, sorry, if they don't stop teams from scoring in the half court, they lose games. And that's kind of been a problem all season 
not in terms of doing it, but in terms of that's really a thing that brings them down when, when they do have a bad night in the half court. And I mean, right now it's just, it's, it's just one of those games. You look at this game and it's just one of those nights where it just didn't work for them. And like you said, Gobert was an issue. Point of attack defense was an issue. And then, yeah, taking bad shots and not getting matched up in transition, uh, in, in the half court was a big issue as well. Um, and it's an, it's weird because Minnesota are a good team as a half-court defense. That's been one of their calling cards all season. They're sixth in the league in half-court defense. They allow 95.5 points per possession on aggregate um, this season. So it's kind of weird to see them have a bad night. But like I said, when they do have a bad night, they lose. Yeah, I mean, and the thing that's, that's really odd to me is is why their floor is so low at times. Yeah. Um, because they have two of the best defensive players in the league in, in Jade mm-hmm. McDaniels and, and Rudy Gobert. Um, and, and I get like Kyle Anderson's been out a few games. Gobert's been out a few games. Mike Conley's in there. But like Mike Conley is playing better defense than D'Angelo Russell. And his role was exactly the same as what D'Angelo Russell did. You know, he was more of that chaser. He guarded Desmond Bain. And who guards Desmond Bain every time the Wolves play the Grizzlies? D'Angelo Russell. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, in, in the frustrating part, too, for me, personally, watching this game tonight and, and this entire season, honestly, um, is when you when you think about the Wolves, right? Last year, they were really good at, at generating transition. Um, and, um, you know, and I, and I think that they also were very, very good finishing transition. They, have, they had a lot of very good um, you know, you know, play finishers in, in transition. Um, and I, I think this year, when you look at it, um, you know, the Timberwolves have, have largely been a very poor, um, a, a very poor transition team. They're 20th in the league in an offensive rating in transition, which is hundred and about 114. Um, and that's gone and up that's, a lot recently. Like they were in the bottom five has. for a long time. It has. And, and you think about tonight, they had an offensive rating of 84 in, in the half court, mm-hmm. which is the 10th percentile, according to cleaning the glass. Um, so, um, you know, and, and the crazy thing for the Timberwolves is half of their live ball defensive rebounds turns in, turned into transition. That's like a remarkable, incredibly good mark. I, I would venture to guess that the, you know, that the the like league average frequency is about 29, 30 ish percent um, of live ball rebounds turn into, turn into, you know, transition opportunities. And that was 50% for the wolves tonight. So almost, you know, twice as good as what the average is. And, and they only scored, you know, their offensive rating off of those was 79. So even worse than, than what it was off of steals. Um, So the wolves just, I, I I don't know. I, I think that, you know, I didn't really talk about it a whole lot because it's not really something like leading up to the trade deadline because it's not something that, you know, that I think you need to go out and like explicitly address necessarily than it is just by like telling your guys to focus more on like getting out and transition and, you know, and just like really filling lanes hard and all that. But like, you know, that's going to be a problem for the Wolves. Like, you know, the, the, yes, you know, a game in the half court is obviously to their advantage just because they've been a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense this year in, in the half court. And we obviously see more half court basketball in the playoffs, but, but man, like it's going to be really hard for them to, to win games. And, and especially down the stretch of the season, they have a really tough schedule the rest of the way. 
against good teams if you can't finish in transition. Um, and that's something where Malik Beasley uh, was was fantastic for, for Minnesota, both as a guy that would get up and, and yam that thing and, and as a guy that would space the corners and, and be shot ready and, and knock things down really, really well in transition. Um, like Jalen Noel has been a guy that, that's done a really good job of finishing in transition this year. Um, obviously Anthony Edwards, but, but outside of those guys, like, I, I don't really know who, who's been a, a factor in, in transition. I guess you could put Jaden McDaniels in there as well. Just, he's got that really nice where he like jumps up and then kind of does the like double clutch and like goes like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, does kind of like, kinda like, for a, them to underhand win, like an underhand windmill and just kind of like yeah, ducks under the yeah. guy and lays it in. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, so that that's that's going to be something that I'm watching this year too. Is like when they or the rest is rest of the way and, and like Mike Conley is, is a better athlete than D'Angelo Russell um, in terms of like his speed and and, at, and acceleration um, in the open court. And he's a transition so, shooter as well, which D'Lo was a little bit as well, but he likes that transition three. We saw him take one pull up tonight, but it was and more then we pull saw, up rather than spot up. I think for D'Lo, but we saw one with Ant. Yeah, we saw one with Ant where Ant kind of uh, took a live rebound and pushed up the court and then kicked it to Conley in the corner who pump faked and then kind of reset for a three. Like that's the kind of play that Malik Beasley did a lot, and the kind yeah. of thing that good teams do. Like you can't, like you said, you can't. It's good to have a great half court offense, but scoring in transition theoretically should be easier. Which it's, means it's, it's easy buckets, and they need any team. If you get easy buckets, you score more, you win more. Right, and to steal a line from from the the, the great Jim Peterson, like Malik Beasley was a fire starter, man, and yeah. and those transition threes are fire starters. I mean, I, I looked at this, um, you know, it, it kind of immediately stuck out to me. Um, so there was about eight minutes left in the in the third quarter. The Timberwolves, I believe, were down uh, four. I believe it was seventy seven to seventy three. On, on that run to start the to start the third quarter and Mike Conley pulls up for three in a three on one transition. It was either three on one or three on two. He misses it and then Memphis comes down and makes a three immediately after that. And so the lead, instead of it being a one point game, it's now a seven point game. And and from from that miss on, you know, the Grizzlies the Grizzlies outscored um the, the Grizzlies outscored Minnesota. I want to say, you know, something to the tune of like 51 to, you know, 51 to like 33. Um, and, yeah. and that was a huge moment in the game. Um, I'm sorry for, for being so slow with that math, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, it's just like transition is going to be big. Um, you know, especially on the nights where, where the defense does do its job. And, and I think it'll be better with Conley, but, but I, I don't know how much better it will be with, with Conley. Yeah. I think it'll be better defensively, which has been a problem as well, that they're not good at stopping transition op- opportunities as well for other teams. And I think there was a couple of times tonight where, where Conley just walled a guy off slightly totally or bumped bump someone point. in transition. And like that was just something that D'Lo didn't do. And I guess, you know, that's a good segue. Like, let's talk about the trade. What was... Give me your initial trade thoughts. I haven't talked to you about it. So I know that you weren't uh, certainly not a D'Lo hater. You know, a lot of people didn't like D'Lo. I know that you were a fan of D'Lo and not a stan, but a fan of no, D'Lo. No, definitely so not like, a stan. Yeah, I mean, you haven't threatened to like kill me or anything. So not a stan. But what did you think of the deal? Did you expect it? Was it something that kind of surprised you or what? Yeah, I I certainly was not necessarily surprised. Um, 
that the Delo got moved, but I was surprised in the structure of it. Um, I really didn't think that the Lakers were going to be a team that that was interested in D'Angelo Russell. That wasn't really the team that I, we had heard. I thought they that, would be just because they're a weird purgatory team. They're not tanking or contending, and that's kind of the team that would like Delo's contract. I feel like. Yeah, I, I think like it makes a lot of sense. But I, I guess when I was when I was thinking about it, I, I thought the Lakers were going to be in on on Fred Van Vliet um certainly um and, and or Conley like I just thought that those two guys were kind of a cut above D'Lo in terms of what the Lakers were looking for um but but yeah like it makes a lot of sense that D'Lo probably won't play point guard like he's gonna just be an off the ball guy shooter um who who can you know run the show a little bit when Braun's not out there so like I, I thought it made, made a lot of sense like the Lakers did very well in that trade um, as a fan of Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley as well, I'm very excited that they get to, they get to play, you know, on this great stage and people kind of get to appreciate them. Um, like we got to when we were in Minnesota. So, uh, or when they were in Minnesota. Um, so, so in that regard, I thought it was awesome. Um, I, I was thrilled, uh, that, that the Timberwolves got Mike Conley. Um, you know, it, I, I've heard Chris Finch talk a lot, um, and Tim Connolly too, about habits and about how daily habits are, are really important. And, you know, you, you, I'm sure everybody, if you're listening to this, you, you've heard, you know, what John Krasinski had to say on, on the Barrera, Sean K fan about, you know, D'Angelo Russell openly kind of bemoaning Rudy Gobert um, and, you know, not being afraid to throw under the bus, like with media around coach in front of coaches, players, et cetera. Like, Angel Russell just like, I don't think he's a good teammate, really. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy who does not seem to be about the team. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's like a horrible thing because I'm not going to sit here and act like D'Angelo Russell wasn't a, a massively important player for this team this year and that this team would certainly be worse without him um, in his contributions thus far. But like, you're surrounding Anthony Edwards with a guy who is one teammate of the year, um, who has won the sportsmanship award three times. Um, and is a guy who knew he was getting traded, but still went out there to get a workout in just to like keep his routine and make sure, you know, his mind was right and all that before the, before the wolves played the jazz on Wednesday and like just a super high caliber professional guy. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you look at the guys that have kind of been in Anthony Edwards ear this year, it's really taken a step forward in terms of, instead of just having the one guy, like you had with Ricky Rubio and Pat Bev, you now have three guys in, in Austin Rivers, Mike Conley and, um, and Kyle Anderson who, who are going to do that for him. And like in the locker room, it's Rudy Gobert, then Anthony Edwards, then Austin Rivers, Jordan McLaughlin, and, and uh and Mike Conley that's what the locker situation and the locker setup will be like he's really insulated with a lot of just <laughs> smart professionals who have been around this league played around other superstars and, and get what it, and get get what it means to to really find success in this league and what it takes so um and D'Angelo Russell hasn't um even though he's been around, he was around Kobe as a rookie. He played with Steph for half a year and now he's going to go play with LeBron. But like he, he hasn't, you know, been on teams 
that have found success and he doesn't know what it takes to win. He can, he can try and act like he does, but he doesn't. He was terrible in the playoffs last year. Like that was, you know, that was what his second playoff series. And he was awesome in the playing game, but like, you know, I, I think some of that was almost by necessity in the sense it's like cats out. All right, it's go time, you know? Um, and Anthony Edwards was, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to like get in a bag deal situation, but, um, I just, I love it in the sense that, you know, con- just from like a intangibles off the floor thing. I mean, and I'm sure you have thoughts about it on the court too, but, and, and I think this team needs more of like a floor general, get everybody involved type of player. Um, and the connection with, with Gobert is obviously very real too. So um, I just think he's going to be a really galvanizing guy as a connector in the locker room. Um, and, and certainly that might be hard down the stretch of this season. Um, but, you know, like I think guys are going to gravitate towards him. You know, he's played well, in 72 made... playoff games. 72. Yeah. yeah. Outside of Gobert, if you add up the, the like number of play, playoff games that everyone else has played in, I don't think that that would touch that or come close to it. Yeah. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, they need. I think they need that galvanizing force in the locker room. Like, that stuff, it's obviously intangible, especially for us. We're not in the playing group. But I think that most fans or analysts kind of know that, like, when the things when things get tough, like, you, you need a player like that in the locker room who can, who can bind everyone together. And this end of this season is going to get tough, whether it gets tough and Minnesota win games and they end up in the playoffs or the play-in. And, you know, everything feels pretty good, good vibes to end the season or whether it gets tough and they lose because they're playing a bunch of really good teams on the road pretty much for the rest of the season. It, no matter what way that goes, you need a guy like Mike Conley in the, in the locker room because I think he can perk things up and, and set the ship back on course if things are going wrong. And he can keep the vibes high and just kind of keep everyone locked in if the if things are going well and not let everyone... I mean, to use a D-Lo quote, to not let everyone get too high or get too low, you know? like <laughs> One more it, for the road. <laughs> yeah, it, it's strange that Mike Conley feels like he brings that mantra more than D-Lo actually did, who kind of epitomized the the volatility that this team still had. I mean, we saw it tonight, but this team all season has been super volatile, really, really good or really, really bad, sometimes in between that, but there's really no through line that you can point to for this season for the the average performance of Minnesota because it just jumps so high or so low depending on you know any given night so I think that that consistency not just as a player I think I mean D'Lo's been a better 
in a, in a vacuum player than Conley this season. But in terms of stability, in terms of what he's going to give you every night, in terms of the things that he knows he does well and the things that he thinks he does well, those two things line up where I think D'Lo kind of, sometimes that was a bit skew-if in terms of what he wanted to be and what he actually was. And I think Conley knows who he is. And this team at point guard, I think really needs someone who knows who they are, knows who the team is and knows who the best players are. And I mean, you kind of touched on something a little bit earlier to do with the play-in, but um, D'Lo has always struck me as a guy who needs to be a second option or a first option and then he can play really well. If he, Those teams are probably not going to be that good, but for him to be the best version of himself, he needs to be a first or a second option. And for the last two months, we've seen that that can work. He's been really good, but Kat's going to come back eventually. Rudy is probably supposed to be a little bit better or a lot better offensively, even though he does have his, his warts that we all know. But I think that at some point, they need to find a way to balance out the hierarchy both on and off the court and... Conley I seems like a, agree. He seems like at least a bridge between getting the long-term guy who's going to do that, whoever this future point guard is, and getting rid of D'Lo. You need to find someone who can bridge that gap, and at least you're going to get maybe, you know, at least 60 games out of Conley. Yeah, I think the way that I think about it too is it helps you make a decision of what Anthony Edwards is going to be, right? Which is so, so important. Edwards, well, so Anthony Edwards is taking this this leap, right? And, and Mike O'Hagan, um, he's been an awesome guy at Canis this year. For, shout for many out, years. shout out, Mike. Um, he's so good. So good. I, I love Mike. Um, and, and Mike wrote an awesome article this year about, um, about like what the, what are the great, like one of the great parts about Anthony Edwards is that we still don't know what he's going to be, mm-hmm. you know? And, and what's fun about him becoming a star is we kind of get to find out what he, is going to be in terms of an offensive player. Like he could become this Luca Harden type guy, or he could just be like a Bradley Beal type where, you know, he's just like a hitman, you know, and Finch is like, Hey man, go kill this dude in the half court. And it's like, got it. And just goes after and relentlessly hunts after people for buckets. You know, like there, there's kind of these, this two, these two paths that he can go on. And uh, Conley will help you figure that out. Like if Anthony Edwards plays considerably worse with Mike Conley than he did with D'Angelo Russell, then I think maybe you roll without a point guard and you just surround Ant with like a bunch of kind of like, I don't want to say Kyle Anderson types, but Kyle Anderson types of like. I would love five Kyle Andersons, (laughs) four Kyle Andersons and Anthony Edwards. These like secondary ball handler guys who are just unselfish, but also kind of understand when they need to shoot it or make a quick decision or or get Ant the ball again. Um, And while Mike Conley serves as that guy that can help the Wolves figure out what Ant's going to be, he's also hopefully instilling really good habits in him and maximizing your return on the Gobert investment. So when you think about it in terms of how the young guys need to develop around Anthony Edwards or just more plainly, like how Anthony Edwards needs to develop while also, you know, trying to maximize this cat go bear window too, I guess. Um, I, I don't know that you could have gotten a better guy than Mike Conley. Um, and I also want to put out there too, like the Wolves got three second round picks and that may seem like nothing, but like Bones Highland went for two seconds. And, and I think, you know, that might say more about like Bones Highland than what you can get for two seconds, but that's not nothing. 
you know, like that could be really useful for the Wolves in case Wendell Moore doesn't work out or, you know, like Luca Garza just like isn't a guy or, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. or, you know, you can turn two for two seconds or three seconds into a first, or you can buy a second round. You know, there's a lot of different optionality that that, or you can you. just draft. Yeah. Draft players in the second round, like which Josh has been, Tim, Con- you know, which has been yeah. Tim Conley's specialty for a while now. Yeah. And, and that, and the other thing too, that I think is important about this trade is Nikhil Alexander Walker was not just a throw in to get the jazz under the luxury tax. Minnesota, I was surprised we didn't see him in this game when I was, cause I thought they might run him in Austin, that three guard lineup that they run and Austin had a bad game. Yeah. And, and Mike texted us this in a, in a group chat that we have um, with, with um, you know, a few people. And, and Mike was like, Austin Rivers is doing a great job of, uh, or of like explaining why Pat Beverly should get a job, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, like it was he's just a bad. Promote, he's Rivers out here game. putting his resume on Indeed for him. Yeah, dude, and and like that, I was surprised that he didn't turn to Nikhil Alexander Walker there. I get it, like it's his first game back from a suspension. You kind of want to let him play into it, but at the same time, like he's not a star or a guy that you know you just get a ton of leash with, especially if you're only yeah. playing 17, 18, 20 minutes a game, whatever it is. Um, but Nikhil Alexander Walker, man, last year of a rookie contract, you think you could get him like two for 10 or two for 12 or or some type of deal done, um, in restricted free agency and kind of see what you have there. Like Tim Connolly last night, uh, on zoom made it very clear that he sees him as a one, a two or a three as a guy that can kind of fill any role. Um, and, and that Chris Finch pushed for, for Nikhil Alexander Walker to be in the trade, like Rudy or Rudy Gay could have been in that trade and would have saved yeah. the jazz even more money but and then the they Wolves could have w- just they could have just waived him instead of Bryn forbes or you know waived yeah. Bryn forbes and just sat gay on the bench like yeah and, and who knows if um and the other thing with gay too gay is has a, another year on his contract and would be another tradable contract so that you wouldn't have to use the torian prince or someone like that so like there's plenty of a valid argument for for getting a rudy gay um but but they went for Nikhil alexander walker and i like it a lot um, you know, I, I liked him coming out of the draft. I didn't love him. I wasn't as high on him as, as some other people were. Um, but you know, a, a guy who's, you know, six, five has a really long, you know, six eleven ish wingspan, um, can defend multiple positions. And if he's shooting threes, the way he has been this year, um, no, I think over 40%, obviously small sample, but, um, I also like his passing instincts too, from what I've seen today, um, in the last, you know, 48 hours. Um, so I'm not saying that he should take anybody's spot in the rotation right now, but I will say that I do think he could become, you know, a guy where we look back at this trade, like, Oh, that's how we got Nikhil Alexander Walker. Mm, yeah. And D'Angelo Russell's an expiring contract. Like last thing I'll say about the trade, I thought Tim Connolly did a fantastic job. Uh, in terms of getting value for D'Lo. Like, if you would have told me that you could have gotten Conley without having to pay something and then get three second-round picks and a guy in a rookie contract that you can take a flyer on that, that Chris Finch likes um, and has coached before, I would say that that's a hell of a job. And um, and I have, I have you know, and, and again, like, Gobert trade was, was what it was. Um, I think it's a, a pretty clear you know, you lost that trade. Um, but I've liked every single one of Tim Connolly's moves outside of that. 
Um, yeah, it's like this big shadow, like kind of looming over a bunch of little really nice moves. Like, and like yeah. you said, I think that I think that he, he won the gamble that he took as well, and the gamble was that he could get D'Lo back into the mix, and that he would play pretty good this season, and they would be able to get more for him than they would have got in the off season. And I know he didn't have a lot of takers in the off season, but like he could have traded him in the off season. Something he they could have found a way to dump D'Lo as in a full blown salary dump whether they had to include someone else in that deal or you know they, they would have found a way to move D'Lo if they absolutely wanted to do that before the season started but I think that Conley um, kind of took the risk that they could get D'Lo back into the mix and that he would boost his value from the floor that it was on after the playoffs last season and you know end up ended up getting three second round picks and a young player and a guy who's going to run the offense for the rest of the season so uh, I think if it's obviously not the flashiest deal. You know, Alexander Walker hasn't been as good as a lot of people thought he was. Conley's old. Second-round picks don't have that sort of shine on them that the first-round picks do. But I don't know what people could expect. Like, D'Lo's an right. expiring contract, uh, overpaid player, a player with a bad reputation around the league, and they turn him into five assets, and at least one of which will help them this season, and maybe two in terms of Alexander Walker as well. So, I, I mean, it's, I think it's a huge win. And you could make an argument, too, that, like, because of the return, they didn't feel they needed to trade Nas Reed or Jalen Noel. Right, right. Yeah, you know, and, like and, that, if, and if, that's going to help if, them this season, too. And this season is still very important. For sure. It's Like, it's yeah. it's not a write-off in terms of, you know, they can't do anything, but they're not going to be a top-four seed. Like, they probably thought they could or should be. But this season's still very much alive. They need to win every game. I'm annoyed right now that they lost to the Grizzlies and we're in the 59th game, and that's a good thing because that means that the the season is still well and truly alive. And if this season is well and truly alive, then they need Yanaz Reeds. They need Jalen Noel, who's looked awesome all of a sudden again. And they need Mike Conley to to insulate the, the hole that's left by D'Lo. Yeah, and I think they could finish as a top four seed, honestly. Um, they need some teams to start losing games. They need Kevin Durant to not go to the Phoenix Suns would be helpful. Well, I hate to say it, but like Kevin Durant's not going to play potentially until March. That team yeah, has I'm, no depth, and if Devin I don't Booker think, and I don't think and they care on, about being a good seed, they just they just going to win sure. the championship. And that's kind of my point. Like if Devin Booker isn't hundred percent, he's not going to play. If Chris Paul isn't hundred percent, yeah. he's going to play. I haven't seen a player that looks like they hate their life more than DeAndre Ayton this year. <laughs> like, and I'm sure that would change, but like, I'm not. Tr- I don't trust that guy as far as I can throw him. And, yeah. and the other thing too, like, think about Dallas, right? Like Luca's starting to get banged up now, like. And that team outside of Kyrie and Luca and Maxi Kleba sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't like any other player on that team. Like Josh Green, okay, cool. You can have him. Like that that's fun. I don't like any other player on that team. I hate well, I Chris, I, I, like I, I think Christian Wood is overrated. I mean, and then the Kings. Yeah. I mean, look at the Kings division. I was the Kings about, have to play I was in the about same to say the King the Kings the Clippers, are the, team. the Lakers, the Suns, the Warriors. Like that is just murderer's row. And yeah. then and then two, like the Pelicans, like Zion's not going to stop being fat anytime soon. Like with all due respect, like I, I, Zion's a fantastic player, but like his weight is a problem, man. Like yeah. it, it's a it's a foot or a knee or now a hamstring. Like one thing if it was a shoulder injury or something, but like I, I don't know, man. Um, and, and so there's a lot of you know concern and, and uncertainty and, and Zion obviously is probably a 
bigger, you know, shot in the arm than than Cat would be. But you know, like outside of the Suns, like I think the Wolves are getting you know the best addition back in Carl Anthony Towns, and it sounds like Carl's mm-hmm. going to be ready to go. Um, uh, there there are some rumblings, um, you know, kind of game of telephone that that kind of gets back to gets back to you down the line that you know Carl hopefully is going to be ready to go after the All Star break. Um, yeah. And if well, that's it looks the like case, he's kind of involved in a lot more now, and he's with the team on the road. So yeah, and so like, knock on wood, like if he's able to go right away out the gate of the All Star break, like, and the Wolves are able to go, you know, two and one of these last three games, it's go time, and you're two games above five hundred. Um, that would probably put you around the six seven line. You would think that the Wolves will stay out of the plan. You'd you would hope, um, but. I don't know. I, I think anything less than I think if you're in the play in tournament, that's a that's a failure. Um, yeah, I mean, I would I, just, I if I had to put my money on it right now, I'd say that they're in the play in tournament. But I do see the way out. I think I think like the I think the Kings are the team. I mean, I don't know how much I trust um, Dallas, but they had a they had a few games lead already. They're currently destroying the Kings, but the Kings are now. Four and six in their last ten, like that's the team that kind of the shine is starting to wear off them a little and, bit. And, I and think like you the... said, they're in that they're in that division of death now. And I just I feel like the Kings are the team that could free fall, and that vaults Minnesota into the top six because I think Minnesota are the team that are. I think they'll be seventh, waiting for someone to stumble, and they'll be able to take over. They they, they do need someone to stumble because that's the position their slow start has put them in. Yeah, and so you look at teams that have the most difficult schedules left. L.A., the Clippers are number two, Sacramento's number three, Phoenix is number four. And those are three yeah. teams that are right above them in the standings. Uh, and where are Minnesota in that? Minnesota's 11th. But you look at a team like New Orleans, they have the third easiest schedule. The Lakers, they have the seventh easiest schedule. Memphis, they have the 10th easiest schedule. Um, and then Golden State is right in the middle, same with Portland. So, you know... It it's like people have gotten mad at me tweeting from the Canis Twitter account this year, just talking about how many stupid, terrible losses there have been and how long the season is. But like every game matters the same. Like I, yeah. I don't like the people who try to tell me, you know, game 82 means way more than, than game, you know, 37. Yeah. Maybe to the players it does, but the standings do not discriminate, you know? Yeah. Um, and people want to just say like, oh, well, the Wolves have been better against good teams this year. Do you want to trust that that continues or would you rather have like four or five other wins in your pocket? You know? Yeah. And the Um, planes are shit. The planes are shit show. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, it doesn't matter how good you are if you can be eliminated by a team in one game or in two games, because that's just, it's not the playoffs. And you, and you think of the volatility of this team, man, like. The Wolves got lucky in the play-in game last year, I think. Like they, I was, I was about to say, the Clippers were off. a better team. The Clippers were a better team than Minnesota sure. last season. That just you, proves and, how volatile it is. And I'm not taking anything away from D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, who were awesome in the second half of that game. But, like, I, I think they were still very fortunate that, that Paul George just, like, short-circuited when he saw Patrick Beverly and, like, Kawhi's whatever. Play-in but, um, but you know, like, do you want to see Golden? Do you want to see Steph Curry, <laughs> LeBron James, Damian Lillard in a in a 
one game, like fight for your life. Like, no, hell no. Um, so it, it'll just be fascinating to see what happens there. I still think the most likely scenario is that Memphis ends up as the three seed and the Wolves end up as the six seed. Like this just feels destined. I can't handle another, another series against Memphis. Not especially not when we sit here right now after Memphis just waxed Minnesota. Yeah, but I mean, like Rudy Gobert kind of dominated the last game that they played. You know. Yeah. Like uh, Stephen you know, Adams being back is a good thing for Minnesota. Steve, they need Stephen. Minnesota play better when Stephen Adams plays, and I love Stephen Adams, but like he is mincemeat when Minnesota play because Cat will cook him. Or Gobert will, will be able to guard him and not have to guard these athletic, you know, guys who run around like Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, Steven Adams missing is actually, it's a bad thing for Memphis, but a bad thing for Minnesota too. And the good thing that I don't think people have talked about a ton is the best version of this Wolves defense has been when Gobert has kind of been that floating rote, that floating low man. Yeah. Not when they've been playing a drop, when they've kind of done a switching concept up to- up top or a high wall concept up top and go bears been that low man they can kind of stick him in the dunker on somebody and if you have steven adams there like you can have cat and Jaden mcdaniels and, J- and john Morant's grill and rudy gobert or Jaden Mc- or kyle anderson is at the rim. you know what i'm saying like there's yeah i, I think minnesota is much better equipped to handle memphis defensively um I-, I think tonight they didn't want to play high wall with conley i think it was just kind of like play what you're familiar with um but yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see how that how that develops and cats back but yeah yeah well um i'll let you go it was very nice to see you jack and very nice to talk some wolves finally we need to get this going a bit more regularly now that i have a bit more time and you're stuck inside in winter well it's still winter there you're stuck inside <laughs> i'm stuck inside because it's so fucking hot here but um yeah it's good to see you man Absolutely, man. Especially with all these road games. And I won't be at games. I think uh, anytime, anytime you want me, you got me. Lovely. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you guys next time.